I've got a word for you. Dragnet. If you're like most people, that word might make you think of this. Ladies and gentlemen. Or maybe this. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Well, one thing's for sure. Dragnet was a one-of-a-kind show with a one-of-a-kind look and sound. It began on the radio and then was on TV in two separate runs, one for most of the 1950s and another one during the turbulent late 1960s. Based on the vision of its creator and star, Jack Webb, Dragnet broke all the rules with its no-frills documentary approach and its refusal to glamorize police work. At the end, roughly 20 years after it began, Dragnet stubbornly stuck to the same format, even though times had changed and authority had become something to question instead of celebrate. Today on The Potluck, we look at Dragnet and its evolution from a smart, compelling radio show to a stiff, ultra-structured TV sermon that played more like a parody of a cop show. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to The Potluck. I'm David Inman. It's sad to realize that when most people think of Dragnet today, they think of the color episodes that were produced in the late 1960s and then revived on Nick at Night in the 1990s. Or maybe all they know is the 1987 theatrical movie with Dan Aykroyd as Detective Joe Friday, the super anal nephew of the lead character of the original Dragnet, also named Joe Friday. It's easy to make fun of Dragnet, especially those 1960 shows, where Los Angeles police detectives Joe Friday, played by Webb, and Bill Gannon, played by Henry Morgan, wear the same suits for years at a time, speak in monotone close-ups, and convey emotions as if they're under anesthetic. But in the beginning, Dragnet was very different. The TV version of Dragnet came along a couple of years after it began on the radio during the summer of 1949, and in many ways the radio version of Dragnet was the best version of all. The idea began with Jack Webb. By 1949 he was already a radio pro. In 1945 he'd received a hardship discharge from the Army Air Force because he was the sole support of his mother and grandmother. Webb never knew his father, who disappeared before he was born. Right out of the service, Webb got a job at radio station KGO in San Francisco, where he played jazz records, his favorite genre of music, and did shows like One Out of Seven, which crusaded for racial tolerance. At KGO, he met a writer named Dick Breen, and together they sold a show to ABC called Pat Novak for Hire a tongue-in-cheek detective series.
That's what the sign out in front of my office says. Hat Novak for hire. You gotta put it in block letters because down on the waterfront in San Francisco, there's a price tag on everything. You gotta do that or marry a rich widow. I don't like to work that hard. So I rent boats and do anything else that's cash and carry. Oh, it's all right if you don't mind trouble. Because that's one thing you can't duck. It's like trying to dance the minuet and skis. And the best trouble always looks good from the outside. You're all smiles and feel like a kid opening a hand grenade under the Christmas tree. It was a good time to be a detective on the radio. The success of private eye movies like The Big Sleep and uh, Murder, My Sweet led to a lot of radio copycats. From yours truly, Johnny Dollar, to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, to The Adventures of Sam Spade, which was probably the best of the lot. The success of Pat Novak for Hire brought Webb back to his hometown of Los Angeles, and Breen came with him. Webb also began to get work on other radio shows and bit parts in movies. He had small roles in Sunset Boulevard and as a paraplegic in The Men, which was Marlon Brando's film debut. In 1948, he was in a movie called He Walked by Night, a film shot in a semi-documentary style and using real locations in Los Angeles. It was based loosely on the case of an ex-GI who terrorized the city in a robbery and murder spree just after the war. Webb played a forensic technician, and during breaks in shooting, he shot the breeze with LAPD Sergeant Marty Wynn, the movie's technical advisor. Wynn offered the opinion that real, everyday police cases, even if they were just routine crimes, often contained more human drama than fictional ones, and he cited a few examples. At first, Webb thought the idea was kind of boring, but when He Walked by Night was released, reviewers were so enthusiastic about the film's realistic style that Webb revisited the idea of a radio show that would be just as realistic. He began riding with Wynn and his partner and soaking up police procedure. He wanted the show to be as realistic as possible, right down to the sound effects. CBS turned down the idea of Dragnet, so Webb went to NBC, where executives were more receptive. The network had just lost several of its biggest stars, Jack Benny, Edgar Bergen, Amos and Andy, to CBS, and they were looking for new shows. Webb recorded a pilot episode and got the blessing of the L.A. police to use their files as story material as long as the names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 3, 1949, Dragnet premiered on NBC Radio with very little fanfare, and that was fine with Webb. In the parlance of the restaurant business, it was a soft opening. Webb wanted time to shape the show, to infuse it with the kind of deliberateness and authenticity that hadn't been heard on radio before. Six sound effects men worked on each episode, at least twice as many as on any other radio show. If a character called long distance, you heard every operator at every exchange sending the call along. Webb knew the number of steps a cop would take walking from one office to another and made sure the exact same number was heard on the air. He utilized police jargon and code, and he made sure that his character, Detective Sergeant Joe Friday, and his partner, Detective Ben Romero, played by Barton Yarborough, had an easy rapport. 
If you're familiar with the traditional dragnet opening that we open the show with, the beginning of the very first episode will be a bit of a surprise to you. Dragnet. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. That is very dramatic in a way that future Dragnet episodes would go far out of their way to avoid. In those early days, Webb was pressured by the network to make Dragnet sound like, well, like every other show of its type on the radio. Webb fought that as much as he could, and aside from the overheated introduction, the first episode of Dragnet did have elements of its own special style. After that first episode, Webb got support from a very important ally, critic John Crosby. In his nationally syndicated column, Crosby wrote, Quite a few crime shows now claim to be based on somebody or other's files, but few of them sound as authentic as Dragnet. That was enough to silence the network, and Webb was left alone to develop the show his way. On the second episode of Dragnet, Walter Schumann's familiar theme was introduced. And then the show got a new writer, Webb's friend from his KGO days named Jim Moser, who was in complete harmony with Webb's vision for the show. And week by week, they shaped Dragnet into something less hyperbolic. The cops became more and more professional and less hammy, and the drama was in the situation they faced not the way they reacted or overreacted to them. A dragnet always followed a very recognizable structure, beginning with the theme and the disclaimer. And like the film He Walked by Night, Dragnet told its story in voiceover, in this case from Joe Friday, who guided us through each episode. This is the city. Los Angeles, California. I work here. I'm a cop. Friday and his partner would do their work methodically, and exchanges of dialogue were often terse and tight. Webb also loved to end an episode with a topper, what I have come to think of as the Joe Friday burn. Here are some examples. Okay, man. Yeah, he's fast with a gun. Nice looking, isn't he, Sarge? You'd never think he'd kill anybody. Come on, let's take him in. I love him. I still love him. <laughs> but you're a cop, you wouldn't understand. That's right, I wouldn't understand. I'm a cop. You better get up, lady. Get your coat. I gotta have Larry back. He's everything to me. I love him. Is he coming back? You've been gone over a week. Aren't you a little worried about your children? They're all right. I'm too young to spend my life on children. I need Larry. Where is he? See if you can find a coat, will you, Ben? Yeah, all right. I've been drinking off this. I felt terrible. Yeah. I need Larry so bad. He's young like me. Loving. I gave him all my love. Gave him every bit of it. Yeah, you gave him too much. What? You didn't have any left for your kids. 
Don't get this. There, what about it? Ring on your finger. Where'd you get that? It's mine. Why? I had it a long time. Diamond signet, a little big for you, isn't it? Doesn't quite fit. What are you getting at? What's my ring got to do with it? Where'd you get it? Crap game. I won it in a crap game. It's down in Las Vegas. I won a gambler. Is that right? Yeah, a bunch of guys up in the hotel room shooting a little crap. Just a gamble I won. You sure of that, are you? Of course I'm sure. Just a crap game. I took a gamble I won. No, you're half right, mister. Yeah? You gambled, but you didn't win. Almost every Dragnet episode followed that format. But what happened in between could still be compelling, especially in the show's early episodes. My personal favorite episode from the early days of Dragnet is from February 2, 1950. The police are investigating a child murder. As they comb the neighborhood where the child has gone missing, one resident offers his home as a kind of command post. Friday and Romero have several conversations with the man, but it takes an older, more experienced detective to get the idea of checking out the guy. Turns out he has a record and becomes the prime suspect in the murder. Friday and Romero then try to get the guy to confess in a scene that's almost comical, but with a deadly serious intent. The script builds palpable suspense out of just three people talking. Morning, Mr. Jimerson. Oh, how are you, Sergeant? Glad to see you. Sit down. Sorry to bother you again. Not at all. Glad to help. Anything new turn up? Did you kill those two little girls? That's a funny thing to ask. Of course not. You know that. We ask everybody the same thing. Hope you're not offended. Oh, you kind of surprised me. I didn't know. Did you kill those little girls? I don't understand. I told you no. Of course not. It's a stock question. Routine. Did you kill them? Now look, Sergeant. How many times do I have to tell you no? Sorry. You don't have any children, do you? No, we don't. No stepchildren? No. Why? Before you moved out to South Peoria Street, you and the wife lived out in West L.A., didn't you? Kelton Avenue? Well, yes. How'd you know? You recall a Mary Gibbs out there? Gibbs? No. Six-year-old girl? You were charged with molesting her. That was back in 1944. They were crazy. They never proved it. Before Kelton Avenue, you lived in Santa Monica on 10th Street. Is that right? Yes. It was an eight-year-old girl. Donna Honrath? That kid lied, too. She asked me to fix her doll buggy. I never went near her. What about your stepson? Why isn't he living with you? Why did your wife send him to live with her sister? Amy's crazy. I never harmed the boy. We didn't get along, that's all. He got on my nerves. You've had four jobs in the past five years. What were they? I don't know what you're talking about. You were a janitor at a grammar school down the south end of town, then a gardener at a children's playground, then you were a shoe salesman, children's shoes, then you worked at another grammar school. What does all this mean, anyway? What are you getting at? Have you ever been in jail? Once. Six months, there was some trouble. What kind of trouble? I didn't know what I was doing. I was drinking. I didn't mean to bother the kid. Well? That's all, Jimerson. Routine questioning. You can go now. Oh, thanks. I hope you haven't got the wrong idea about me. I like children, that's all. Sure. Thanks for coming in. Well, not at all, Sergeant. Anything I can do to help well, goodbye. Say, Jimerson, I almost forgot. There is one thing. Oh? Since you're the one who found the little girls, we'll have to have you identify the bodies. It won't take long. Uh, morgue's just across the street, up the bluff. Well, I'd like to help you, but I got an appointment. All you have to do is look at them. Won't take you long. Come on, let's go. I'd like to help, Sergeant, but I don't take these things while I get sick. We'll make it try. Not this way. Raining again. 
I'm sorry, Sergeant. I don't think I'd better go. Just identify him. That's all. It won't take a minute. Maybe if we had a drink before we went in. You can have one after. Watch it. There's heavy traffic. Yeah, lights change. We'll have to wait. I need a drink. I can't go in that place without a drink. You'll be all right. Okay, let's go. Morgue's up this way. I can't look at him. I get sick. Don't make me. Nothing to it. You'll see. Here we are. We went down the driveway. It's a shortcut. This way. Hi, Joe. Can I help you? Yeah, Archie. Those little girls. Thelma Griswold. Barbara Sperry. Oh, yeah. This way. Please. Right here, Joe. Yeah, Thelma Griswold. Uncover. Jimerson? Yeah. Thelma. This one? Barbara. Little one. You killed him, didn't you? dog jumped at me. She started to yell. Put my hand over her mouth. Then the other kid. I hit them. Too hard. They cried. Joe? That's all. All right. Huh? Let's go. It wasn't my fault. I like kids. They didn't understand me. Neither do I, mister. Come on. In those early days of the show, Webb was also unafraid to take a stand that might not sit well with Dragnet listeners. For example, the show's first Christmas episode, which was rerun for several years, dealt with a boy who finds a twenty-two rifle that his parents are planning to give him for Christmas. The boy takes the rifle and sneaks outside without his parents knowing about it and accidentally kills another neighborhood boy. And at the end, Joe Friday pretty straightforwardly lets us know how he feels about it. Well, what does it all prove, Joe? You don't give a kid a gun for Christmas. Shortly after it premiered on the radio, Dragnet made its move to television. Webb was all set. He simply took a bunch of radio scripts and adapted them for TV. To speed production, everyone on the set used teleprompters. And to make it easier to match shots, Friday and his partner, Frank Smith, played by Ben Alexander, always wore the same clothes. Under the direction of Webb, the TV series version of Dragnet had its own visual style to complement its distinctive audio style. Webb knew most people would be watching Dragnet on small TV screens, so each episode featured lots of close-ups. Actor Harry Bartell had appeared in dozens of Dragnet radio episodes, but after he did one TV Dragnet, he suddenly became recognizable. 
My wife and I were walking down Hollywood Boulevard toward a restaurant, and I noticed that people were looking at me and pointing fingers and so forth. I thought, my God, my fly's open. I realized later the impact caused by that big head in the living room. I'd been playing to millions and millions of people on radio during that time, and nobody knew who I was. One appearance on that television screen changed everything. The dragnet assembly line ran like clockwork, and Webb kept a tight rein on everything from production to performances. There was no overacting on Dragnet. Every character was instructed to act as low-key as possible. Just after Dragnet hit TV in late 1951, tragedy struck. Barton Yarborough, a radio pro with a long career, who played Friday's partner Ben Romero, died of a heart attack a day after filming the second TV episode. He was 51. Uncharacteristically, Dragnet actually dealt with Friday's reaction to the death of his partner and friend. Friday then worked with several short-term partners until Ben Alexander joined the cast as Detective Frank Smith in 1952. Dragnet steadily rose in popularity on television, and its peak season was 1953-54, when the show finished second only to I Love Lucy in the ratings. Several things happened that season. The first was that Webb sold Dragnet to the Music Corporation of America for $5 million. Second was that the Dragnet theme song, though hardly a toe-tapper, rose to the top of the pop charts. Another was that the show was parodied in a recording by comic Stan Freeberg called St. George and the Dragonette. The legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record. This is the countryside. My name is St. George. I'm a knight. Saturday, July 10th, 8.05 p.m., I was working out of the castle on the night watch when a call came in from the chief. A dragon had been devouring maidens. Homicide. My job. Slam. The parody was done with the complete cooperation of Webb, and Freeberg did two other dragnet spoofs. The final boost came in an unusual form. A dragnet movie, which was released in 1954. At that point, it was unheard of to base a movie on a TV series, especially one that was still on the air. But the Dragnet film was in color and more violent than the TV series. Of those selling points, not to mention its relatively low budget due to its tight TV-style production schedule, was enough to make the film successful at the box office. By now, Webb was seen as a hero by police departments across the country and was showered with honors. The L.A. Police Department was especially appreciative. It was engulfed in several scandals involving corruption and excessive force, and Dragnet was a great PR device. Webb more than repaid their appreciation. He would record commercials for L.A. Police recruiting and TV spots supporting a $25 million bond issue to build new police stations. By 1958, Webb was enough of a media superstar to release a record album featuring his narration over some very over-orchestrated songs. In the hustle of today, we're all inclined to miss. 
little things that mean so much. A word, a smile, a kiss. When a woman loves a man, he's a hero in her eyes. And a hero he can always be if you'll just realize. She may be weary. Women do get weary. Wearing the same shabby dress. And when she's weary, try a little tenderness. Okay, fine, that was me. I was just having a little fun. By 1959, Dragnet was showing its age after being on TV for eight years, and the decision was made to end production after more than 270 episodes. Webb had been involved in the creation and production of other TV shows, but none of them ran more than one season. He'd also appeared in several non-Dragnet movies, including The D.I., where he played a hard-nosed Marine drill sergeant. You people are too slow! If you were that slow in combat, you would be dead! Dead! You burr-headed idiots do not appreciate my cheerful good morning. When my back is turned, you call me bad names. But I won't hear you call me bad names, because if I do, I'll go to the brig. But I'll be thinking about you people all the time. Do you hear me? Yes, sir! I can't hear you! Yes, sir! Dragnet's longtime writer, Jim Moser, went out on his own and created a more successful series, Ben Casey, which ran on ABC from 1961 to 66. It was a medical series about a neurosurgeon played by Vince Edwards, and most episodes contained the kind of psychologically motivated drama in Shades of Grey, the kind of TV Webb hated. In 1963, Webb got an offer from Warner Brothers to head the studio's TV division. He eagerly went to work, but the shows he got onto the networks again were canceled quickly, and he left the post after about a year. By this point, MCA, which owned Dragnet, had also purchased Universal Studios, which was instrumental in the creation of a new program form, the made-for-TV movie and a revival of Dragnet seemed tailor-made for that format. So in 1966, Webb was back on TV screens as Joe Friday and behind the camera as well as director. Ben Alexander, the actor who had played Friday's partner on the old series, was on another cop show at that point, The Felony Squad on ABC. So Webb turned to an old friend, Harry Morgan, to play a new partner. Detective Bill Gannon. Once the Dragnet TV movie was complete, Universal executives liked it so much that they had another idea. Bring back Friday in a series. NBC was willing, 
and in January 1967, Dragnet was on the air again. Behind the scenes, not much had changed. Production was as economical as ever. Barry Williams, who later played Greg on The Brady Bunch, did a guest shot on an early Dragnet episode. He'd worked to memorize his lines, but when he got on set, he was mandated to use a teleprompter like everyone else. In the new show, Webb used many members of the unofficial stock company from the old show with the same instructions. No dramatics allowed. Beyond the soundstage, times had changed, and so had television. But Dragnet hadn't. The show's new title was Dragnet 1967, but what viewers saw was basically Dragnet 1953. Except for one big difference. Joe Friday had become a lot more opinionated, and he seemed to run into many more snotty young people who often received a piece of his mind. You just don't understand. Maybe we do, son. Don't think you have a corner on all of virtue vision in the country, or that everybody else is fat and selfish and you're the first generation to come along that's felt dissatisfied. They all have, you know, about different things, and most of them didn't have the same opportunity and freedoms that you do. Let's talk poverty. Most places in the world, that's not a problem. It's a way of life. And rights, they're liable to give you a blank stare because they may not know what you're talking about. The fact is, more people are living better right here than anywhere else ever before in history. So don't expect us to roll over and play dead when you say you're dissatisfied. It's not perfect, but it's a great deal better than when we grew up. A hundred men standing in the street hoping for one job, selling apples on the street corner. That's one of the things we were dissatisfied about, and you don't see that much anymore. Joe Friday had also become a kind of preacher, at least where the idea of cops was concerned. In other words, you're a college man. She'd like to have seen you land a job with a little more status attached. Is that it? I guess that's part of it. But not all of it. I think maybe I can understand how she feels. And maybe she's right, Culver. It's awkward having a policeman around the house. Friends drop in, a man with a badge answers the door. The temperature drops 20 degrees. You throw a party and a badge gets in the way. All of a sudden, there isn't a straight man in the crowd. Everybody's a comedian. Don't drink too much, somebody says, and the man with a badge will run you in. Or how's it going, Dick Tracy? How many jaywalkers did you pinch today? And then there's always the one who wants to know how many apples you stole. All at once, you lost your first name. You're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull, a dick, John Law, you're the fuzz, the heat, you're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. They call you everything, but never a policeman. Maybe she's right. It's not much of a life unless you don't mind missing a Dodger game because the hotshot phone rings. Unless you like working Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, at a job that doesn't pay overtime. Oh, the pay's adequate. If you count your pennies, you can put your kid through college. But you better plan on seeing Europe on your television set. And then there's your first night on the beat. When you try to arrest a drunken prostitute on a Main Street bar and she rips your new uniform to shreds, you'll buy another one out of your own pocket. And you're going to rub elbows with all the elite. Pimps, addicts, thieves, bums, winos, girls who can't keep an address and men who don't care. Liars, cheats, con men, the class of Skid Row. And the heartbreak. Underfed kids, beaten kids, molested kids, lost kids, crying kids, homeless kids. Hit-and-run kids, broken-arm kids, broken-leg kids, broken-head kids, sick kids, dying kids, dead kids. The old people that nobody wants, the reliefers, the pensioners, the ones who walked the street cold, and those who tried to keep warm and died in a three-dollar room with an unvented gas heater. You'll walk your beat and try to pick up the pieces. Do you have real adventure in your soul, Culver? You better have, because you're going to do time in a prowl car.
The first episode of the new Dragnet series was written, produced, and directed by Webb. Its formal title is the LSD story, but most people know it as the Blue Boy episode. It begins with a teenager, Benji Carver, who, while on an LSD trip, paints his face half blue and half yellow. You're the dirty disbelievers. The evil disbelievers. Evil! 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 Come on, son. Settle down. Brown. Blue. Yellow. Green. Green. Orange. Red. Red, red. Red. I can hear them. I can hear them all. Yeah, sure you can, kid. Let's go back to the office. We'll all listen. Friday and Gannon then follow the trail of acid to a group of teenagers in an old house who demonstrate they're on drugs by trying to climb the walls or eat paint. Keep your nose out of my purse. Keep yours out of the acid. Next time I will. Benji's parents don't seem to care that much about him, and he later overdoses. Not on LSD, because that's impossible, but because the LSD inspires him to take barbiturates to get, quote, further out, unquote. The old dragnet had dealt with drug use, but it took on a much larger role in the new shows. And Joe Friday's stand was that marijuana was a dangerous gateway drug, much more dangerous than alcohol, something Jack Webb himself was known to enjoy on a regular basis. I'll tell you what I know. I know that, in fact, too many kids that begin with pot end up with heroin, then on to LSD. I know that if you drink, you suffer a loss of judgment, if you drink to excess. But I also know that judgment returns when you sober up. I know, and so do you, when you flip out on an acid trip, you never know when you're going to slip out again. This is now, Bentley, not a couple of years ago. We've had time now to see and study the effects of LSD. People who haven't had a dose in weeks sail out on another trip. They never know when. The minute they drop one acid capsule or ingest it in any way, they bought the farm. They've lost any chance to depend on and even restore that most precious of all inner senses, judgment. And in my way of thinking, without judgment, you might as well be dead. Your brain is, so why not the rest of you? Webb still had a sense of humor about Joe Friday. In 1968, he appeared on The Tonight Show and did a Dragnet parody with Johnny Carson that ended up being rerun on just about every Tonight Anniversary show. My name's Friday. I'm a cop. I was working the day watch on a robbery when I got a call from the Acme School Bell Company. There'd been a robbery. There's been a robbery. <laughs> yes, sir. What was it? My clappers. <laughs> Your clappers. Yeah, you know those things inside a bell that makes them clang? The clangers. That's right, we call them clappers in the business. A clapper caper. What's that? Nothing, sir. Now, can I have the facts? What kind of clappers were stolen on this caper? They were copper clappers. And where were they kept? In the closet. Uh-huh. Do you have any ideas who might have taken the copper clappers from the closet? Well, just one. I fired a man. He swore he'd get even. What was his name? Claude Cooper. The new Dragnet was enough of a hit to stay on the NBC schedule until mid-1970. It actually could have run longer, but Webb wanted to concentrate on working behind the camera. Dragnet spun off Adam-12 in 1968, and Adam-12 spun off Emergency in 1972. 
Webb cast his first ex-wife, Julie London, in Emergency, along with her husband at the time, musician-actor Bobby Troop. Both shows had decent runs on NBC. Emergency aired on Saturday nights, and its straightforward, slightly vanilla action was ideal counter-programming to All in the Family on CBS. Webb continued producing and directing for most of the 1970s, and toward the end of the decade, he was offered a film role, that of Dean Wormer in National Lampoon's Animal House. Unsurprisingly, he turned it down. In the early 1980s, he began planning for yet another Dragnet revival, this time with former Adam 12 star Kent McCord as his partner. But the idea was scrapped when Webb died in late 1982 of a heart attack. He was 62. Liggett and Myers Tobacco had been the only sponsor of Dragnet through its run in the 1950s, with Joe Friday often plugging Chesterfield cigarettes. Webb himself had been a loyal customer, a three-pack-a-day smoker. When Webb died, all flags in Los Angeles were lowered to half-staff, and Webb was the first civilian buried with full police honors by the LAPD, including a 17-gun salute. During the funeral, L.A. Police Chief Daryl Gates announced that Joe Friday's badge number, 714, would be retired, and Webb was buried with a replica badge. The LAPD later named a police academy auditorium after Webb, declaring that they had, quote, lost a family member who projected an image we all wished we could project. For the final word on Webb, we turn to comic Jackie Curtis, who did guest roles on Dragnet and Adam-12. He didn't compare Webb to Joe Friday. He compared him to the drill sergeant he played in the film The D.I. I watched him slice into people because they did one thing wrong. You know what he was? I don't know if you ever saw the motion picture The D.I. That's Jack Webb. If you saw The D.I., that was him. You'd love him, but boy, don't get one speck on your rifle. Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck is written, narrated, and researched by me, David Inman. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes and rating us. That makes it easier for other people to find us. Also, please visit our Incredible Inman Facebook page. And if you want to listen to other podcast episodes, go to IncredibleInman.com and click on the podcast page. See you later.